Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is, Lord willing to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're joining us today in the middle of three sections where I've been considering the the question of where are they now? What happened to the family line of Edom as detailed for us in Genesis chapter 36? And we covered the first eight verses the first time and we're looking at verses nine till towards the end this time. I'd like to remind you that there is always a transcript auto-generated and I make available and I make it available to everyone who wants it and you'll find it within the episode notes page of any uh, of any audio version of the podcast. That doesn't really matter where you're receiving it from, but the podcast itself is hosted on buzzsprout.com. So if you click the link on your podcast, go through to the episode notes, you'll find a transcript there, which is in the public domain. I've not copyrighted it. It's free for you to use in whatever way you want. If you'd like to give the podcast the credit, that's always appreciated, but it's not necessary. Take it, use with it, do with it what you want to help you with your own daily journey, your own study, or even if you're preparing uh, Bible study, teaching materials, or maybe even preaching. Completely happy for you to use this and these videos in whatever way you want. But with that said, we'll dive straight into the the text and we'll pick up from where we were last time. I'll see you at the back at the end to to just update you and give you some important information. Bye-bye for now. So here we are. We've arrived at Genesis chapter 36 and we're picking it up. Well, we're going to go back and just take a quick look, remind ourselves of where we are, and then we're going to be looking at the text as it continues from verse 9 on this new section, Blake. So I just feel I need to point out again that the division of this chapter is very clear in that it is divided into two parts of quite unequal length. The first part of this chapter is verses 1 to 8, where that opening verse reminded us that this is the account of the family line of Esau, then importantly, it also reminds us that this is Edom. So just making sure we're grounded in the fact that Esau is now what, at the time this is being written, is the father of the, the nation of Edom. And that's Edom, and that's in Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. But now if we quickly just jump ahead and drop down to verse 9, it again says this is the account of the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. So that clearly shows where these divisions in this chapter lie. But what's the difference between the the list of names in verses 1 to 8 and that section and then in verses 9 through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 33, by the way? A lot of verses and a lot of names, some of them actually repeating. Well, the answer to that question, friends, is that verses 1 to 8 are covering the personal history of Esau. It talks about his wives and his children and him personally. But when it moves to 943, it's a longer term constitutional history of the descendants of Esau. So that's the difference between these two sections. In chapter 33, it is much more of a narrow personal history. But in the second half, 
beginning at verse 9, it widens out to what you might almost call a political history of what happened to that family and how it literally grew to become a nation. So let me briefly summarise where we were in these first eight verses, which we covered last time. And I'll actually just read the text for you because we didn't do it last time. And it's and reminding you that this is Esau's personal history. And it tells us that Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Adah's daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Aholabamah, daughter of Anna, and the granddaughter of Zebion the Hivite. Also Besimath, daughter of Ishmael, and the sister of Neboioth. Adna bore Elipaz to Esau. Besimath bore Ruel, and Oholibama bore Jehush, Jalem, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. And then the text continues. Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock and all the other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan, and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. So, you see, verse 2 and 3 tells us about his wives and what is important in these verses. What's very important is to notice that right at the beginning, it says he took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. He married women who were Canaanites. Now, the Jews were not supposed to marry the Canaanites. They were only supposed to marry their fellow Jews. In fact, he married three of them. Now, there's not a whole lot of information about who these women were, apart from the fact that it gives us their names, some of which I find hard to pronounce, and it tells us that they were Canaanites. We also get the names of his children, and what these verses also tell us is the main point that he had five sons. It talks about his sons, but he didn't only have sons, because verse 6 says that he had sons and daughters. But these earlier verses here only list the sons. So as I said, this is the personal history of Esau and it gives us his wives and his children. Now the other thing that is mentioned is the fact that he has left the land of Canaan and he goes somewhere else, he travels somewhere else. And then again, notice that the text underlines for us so that we don't forget it, that Esau is Edom, the nation who will eventually dwell in the hill country of Seir. Now, I feel I need to pause at this point and explain two things before we can go any further. Number one is the fact that clearly that Jacob and Esau had very large flocks and herds and that the land was not large enough or fertile enough to support them both together. So Esau is seen to pack up his wives and his children and all of his possession and that would of course include his flocks and herds and he moves south. So what this passage is telling us is that Esau left this land and went in a southerly direction and dwelt there. Now the region south of Canaan is what we would today call Jordan. Now if you remember at the beginning I asked by asking what happened to Esau. Well this passage is telling us that very clearly that he moved south and he set up a new home for himself in the south. Probably not far from the Dead Sea. And that's the point 
of these first eight verses of the chapter. But then the second question that you might ask is what then subsequently happens after that to those children and for that matter his grandchildren? Whatever happened to his descendants? So far the Bible hasn't told us any stories about them at all or described for us any events in the, the life of that family line. And that's because the Bible's been involved, it's been much more focused in paying attention to the life of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants because of course they are the ones who will produce the Israelite nation. But the Bible here in chapter 36 is just pausing long enough to tell us what happened to Esau, Jacob's brother, and tell us about his descendants and confirming for us that these descendants will be the people who become the nation of Edom. Now, as I already mentioned, the second part of the passage, it begins at verse 9 and it goes all the way to verse 43 and it's nothing more than a long list of names. So what are we supposed to get out of that? And is there any importance to the organisation and structure of these coming verses? The answer is this, beginning in verse 9 and going through to verse 3, it initially is going to give us Esau's grandchildren. Now I told you earlier that he had five sons and daughters and now we're going to see what happened to his grandchildren. Remember how many wives he had? He had three wives and five sons and the text will be organised around those three wives and those sons. So it tells us, these are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife Ada, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife Basimath, the sons of Ilpaz, Timan, Omer, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Esau's son Elphaz also had a concubine named Timnah, who bore him Amalek, these were the grandsons of Esau's wife Ada, the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shemah, and Mizhah. These were grandsons of Esau's wife Besimath, the sons of Esau's wife Ohelibama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion, whom she bore to Esau. So verse 10 through 12 tells us that his first wife had six grandchildren, and verse 13 tells us the second wife had four grandchildren. And in the third verse, third wife in verse 14, is tells us that she had three sons, and apparent, but apparently they didn't have any children. So the point is that 9 through 14 is, going, is telling us about his grandchildren. So let's continue picking up at verse 15. These were the chiefs among Esau's descendants. It's the first time we've heard that phrase. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, chiefs Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, Amalek. These were the chiefs' descendants from Eliphaz and Edom. They were the grandsons of Adha. The sons of Esau's son Ruel, chiefs Nana, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizhah. These were the chiefs descended from Ruel in Edom. They were the grandsons of Esau's wife, Besimath. The sons of Esau's wife, Oholibamah, chiefs Jehush, Jalam, and Korah. These were the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Holabama, daughter of Anna. These were the sons of Esau, that is Edom, 
and these were their chiefs. So verse 15 through 19 has been telling us about the tribes that came out of the next wife and wives. And we see the use of this word chiefs to describe those who will rise up and become head of the tribes. So these sons produced descendants who were the chiefs and heads of the tribes of the nation of Edom. Again and again, these verses are organized around these three wives. The first wife, in verses 15 and 16, had seven sons who become chiefs. And the next verse, so is the next wife, has four sons who become chiefs. And verses 18 and 19 has more sons listed for us who become chiefs. So remember, this is about Esau's family line. So we're talking about Esau's descendants, his children, his sons and his grandsons. And he has grandsons who become the chiefs of the tribes of the nation. Let's continue in verse 20. Then there were the sons of Seir, the Horite, who were living in the region Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anha, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These sons of Seir in Edom were Horite chiefs. The sons of Lotan, Horai, Homan Timna was Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shepo, and Anam. The sons of Zibion, Ea, Anna. This is the Anna who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing the donkeys of his father Zibion. The children of Anna, Dishon, Aholabama, daughter of Anna, the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Kiran, the sons of Izar, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan, the sons of Dishan, Uz, and Aran. These were the Horite chiefs, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anhan, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishan. These were the Horite chiefs, according to their divisions in the land of Seir. I love the way these verses not only talk about just the list of names, but they give us some real insights into places and geographical locations and says to people, hey, you know this place over here, the hot springs? This is the person who found them. But generally, these verses in 20 to 30, they're talking about the predecessors in the land of Edom and how they link in with the family of Esau and the emerging nation of Edom. So verses 20 says, these are the sons of Seir the Horite. Now, do you see that? Now, it's important because we're no longer just talking about Esau and his family line. We're talking now and linking in with the original inhabitants of the land, which is now being referred to as Edom. And here it's linking in with the Horites tribes. Now, the word, the Hebrew word for Horite actually means cave dweller. So people, well, people have lived in caves throughout history, including right down to this day. People live in caves long before they lived in houses or tents. So these people were cave dwellers. Now let me just widen out a bit. Have you ever heard of a city called Petra? If you go to the Middle East today and you travel and go to Amman in Jordan, which is the capital, and from there you travel south, you're still in modern Jordan now, which was, of course, ancient Edom at this time. If you do that, you'll come to the city of Petra, where there are still caves that people live in today, which is where Bible experts believe this is probably referring to where the Horites lived and dwelt. 
So Esau, it seems, well, he either lived, ended up living in a cave himself, or at least he ended up in a land that was inhabited by cave dwellers. So that's verses 20 to 30. Now, verses 31 to 39, he's seen to be talking about the chiefs, but the ones who will become kings. So let's just read the next four verses, picking up at verse 31. These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Beler, son of Beor, became king of Edom. His city was named Dinhabah. When Bela died, Jobab, son of Zeruth, from Bozrah, succeeded him as king. When Joab died, Husham, from the land of the Temanites, succeeded him as king. When Husham died, Habab, son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. Continuing at verse 36, When Hadad died, Samla from Mashrecha succeeded him as king. When Samla died, Shoel from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. When Shoel died, Balhana son of Akpor succeeded him as king. When Balhana son of Akbor died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Paul, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezibhab. So we're growing and we're seeing what happens here. These people grow into a larger and larger nation. They're becoming city-states with their own individual kings. And then it says that they had kings in this area before Israel had kings. Okay, verse 40, closing out this chapter, in the final few verses it tells us this. These were the chiefs descended from Esau, by name according to their clans and regions. Timnah, Alva, Jethareth, Aholibama, Elan, Pinon, Kenaz, Timan, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Aram. These were the chiefs of Eden, according to their settlements in the land they occupied. This is the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites. Then verses 40 to 43, here we go. It just backs and reminds us that who these people were and which of them who became chiefs of the tribes, which of the sons of Esau did that. Now you might say, but hold on a minute. I thought we've already been told that. We've seen these names appear several times and reappear again at the end in this text. And that is so, but this time it's confirming which of these people from within this generational list were the ones who were chiefs who then became kings. So that's the chapter. It's nothing more than initially a personal history in the opening verses and then goes on to describe how the sons of Esau moved to Edom and then it gives us the family history showing his children, his grandchildren, the various wives they have and the tribes that came from them. And then it tells us about the predecessors who lived in the land that they travelled into and that the kings who came out of those family lines and how they integrated with some of those local people and it's all about the land of Edom and it confirms for us several times as it goes along that this is how, this is the nation of Israel, but this is how Esau became Edom. So it, it fiddles in all the gaps, if you like, by telling us 
what happens to Esau. There's been chapters and chapters about Jacob, but very little about Esau up until this point. So while on the surface, this chapter at first appears to be nothing more than a long list of names uh, when you read it, and you could be forgiven by thinking, well, what's the point of this? It makes no sense. Well, I hope it does, and it, it's filled in some gaps for you. But now, as we progress and close off this chapter and thinking about it, we can now begin to try and understand what's happened here and what's going to happen and what it means. But we'll do that next time. Okay, friends, that's it for this time. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'd like to remind you that not only is the transcript available on the episode notes page of any audio version of the podcast, but there's also several links there of many different ways you can connect with my ministry uh, or also even my Patreon page. Maybe if you want to connect at a level where you become a partner and support in this ministry, you can do that through by signing up on my Patreon page. There you'll find that there's the place where you not only join the group of people who are, by supporting this work, are enabling the main ministry, which is the Bible Project Daily Podcast, to get on the internet, be on the internet free, stay on the internet for free, long term. That's where that comes from. And I'm so thankful of those people who support it that way. But also on Patreon, you'll find that that's the place that acts as host for any additional teaching resources that I do and just other ways and other stuff I do. There's also plans on Patreon to put some more structured discipleship training. So if you feel that you are called by God to maybe preach or teach or understand the Word of God and uh, the Bible in a more historical context, my plan is to add courses and material on there. So uh, there's also even a link actually on the episode notes page to my SoundCloud and Bandcamp pages where I do some work as a sound designer, which you'll hear in the music in the background, not only of the podcast, but some other projects uh, that I'm involved in. Another thing that's really uh, worth saying is it's really helpful to the ministry and to me if you would choose to like, share or subscribe to the podcast wherever you happen to be seeing it, listening to it or receiving it. I'm told that that really makes a difference in enabling the teaching to be seen more widely on whatever platforms that you happen to inhabit. Because, you know, in a way, a sense, we're, we're all doing this together. I really do hope you're benefiting as much from this uh, systematic approach to looking at the Bible as I am in doing it and the most important thing is I would ask for your prayerful support that you would pray that uh, that I would be able to to keep this this mighty project uh, on track to fulfill its vision uh, to work through the entire Bible chapter by chapter verse by verse now when we get to the end of Genesis we're not going into Exodus I don't feel it's uh, it's helpful to people to sit in the Old Testament for five years without even beginning to get into the New Testament. So the plan is to do alternate books of the Bible. So we'll be going off and looking at the Gospel of Matthew when we get to the end of this season. But anyway, that's it for this time. 
I'm so thankful to each and every one of you for joining me. It's a wonderful thing that we're doing together, and I'm thankful for your support in whatever way, even if it's just by listening or watching uh, these podcasts. And you know what? I really hope you're benefiting as much as I am by having the rhythm of Bible study in your life every day. But other than that, I'll see you right back here tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye for now.